0: Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. It's really wonderful to be together and sharing in the Word this morning. And um, as I was preparing, uh, <laughs> well, particularly this week, actually, the Lord reminded me of uh, Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3. Hence, well, you can't really see it. There is, I assure you on the screen, um, a flowing stream with trees planted beside it <laughs> and um, I really felt that that was what the Lord was saying about us being in the Word today and over these next few weeks, <clears throat> because uh, the psalmist says in verse 2, his, uh, about the per- he's talking about the person who is spending time in the Word, and he said, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. Um, And in whatever he does, he prospers and comes to maturity. In whatever he does, he prospers and comes to maturity. And some of what we share in this morning we will have heard before. Some of it we will hear again over the next few weeks. But this is a time to enjoy being in the Word together, to linger, to listen, to, as it were, not just dip our toes in and take them out again, but to plunge our roots in to truth, into the word of God and draw up his rich truth that will bring us a fruitfulness and maturity with no withering away. That's been my prayer for today and these weeks ahead. So today we are all in. We're in the book of Ephesians, the letter Paul has written to the Ephesians, as you will know if you've been here in recent weeks. We're making headway into some phenomenal, (laughs) profound truths, and we're going to continue a little bit in this today. And I really love the book of Ephesians, but where to start and where to stop, which might be the (laughs) most important thing this morning. Well, um, I wonder if you've ever tried summarising something in one sentence. Maybe you've been at college or school and uh, someone said, I want you to show what you've learned about this topic in one sentence. Or maybe you're um, describing a book to someone in one sentence. I am dreadful at the summary sentence. I can't be concise. I always feel I've missed something out. Uh, I'm dreadful at it. Um, but apparently it's a good thing to do. About 25 words or more is ideal. Um, so I really enjoy the fact that Paul, after his short greeting at the beginning of Ephesians, launches into a single sentence that runs from verse 3 to verse 14. <laughs> In the Greek, that's 202 words. It's the second longest sentence in the New Testament, and he does hold the prize for the first longest, which is in Colossians chapter 1, and we looked at that a few months ago. So this is where we are. So I thought this morning we'd just look at one sentence together. I hope that's okay. And uh, in our English translations of the Bible, some of that is lost because the translators tend to put full stops in every now and then to help with readability. So we just need to keep in mind this is one sentence. This is Paul unleashing <laughs> his one sentence of um, a profound truths um, to the Ephesians. So let's read together. I'm reading from the CSB translation. Please turn up if you have a Bible. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 14. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him, we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might be praised to his glory. In him, you also were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. Amen. <laughs> what an incredible sentence. It is full of deep and profound truth. You might have noticed as we read it together, there are repeated phrases that Paul keeps coming back to, even in the same sentence. He does it a few times. They just ramp up the intensity of the worth and the value of what Paul is describing. He starts with rightful blessing and praise of God, and he doesn't stop. He praises God in the middle of his sentence. He praises God at the end of his sentence. This is a breathtaking eulogy of the living God for who he is, in verse three, for his glorious grace, verse six, and for his glory, verse 12 and 14. No wonder (laughs) Paul doesn't stop for punctuation, (laughs) hey? He just keeps going. And such an explosion of praise It can only serve to help us anticipate what's coming next. And he starts with, in verse 3, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Paul isn't highlighting here spiritual blessings versus material blessings. He's not describing a location that's far off or a location of blessings that are currently unavailable and hidden away he says he has blessed us and that means now spiritual implies that the holy spirit is at work making these blessings available and accessible to us now when he speaks of blessings in the heavens He's saying something about the seat of God's power, of his authority, of his permanence, that this is where the blessings come from, where Christ is seated, blessings that bear heaven's stump and heaven's divine quality. And we can see in the rest of this sentence that although Paul uses the term um, us when he's talking about himself and the Ephesian Christians he's writing to, this is true for all of us who are Christians. This is for us. And Paul then goes on to expand something of what this, uh, these blessings that are spiritual and, and in the heavens means. And um, we're going to have a little look at that this morning. We could spend hours, <laughs> days unpacking this. But let's just have a look at things um, this morning that I think will help us. And um, to do that, we're going to just look at three things, or perhaps to be more accurate, three in's. In Christ, in together, in for purpose. (coughs) So let's dive in. In Christ. Um, You will have noticed that that phrase is repeated throughout that sentence, and it's one of Paul's go-to phrases for describing us as Christians. Um, He uses it loads in his writings. In Ephesians, he uses it at least 12 times and 22 other various forms that are very similar, like in him or in whom or in the beloved. And Paul expands what being in Christ means. And we're going to highlight um, a few of these things this morning. We're going to think about three things God has done for us in Christ, two things we have received in Christ and one other thing. So let's look at three things God has done for us in Christ. From verse four. For he, that is God the Father, chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless in love before him. He has chosen us I sometimes like looking up what some of these words mean in the Greek language. I'm not an expert at it, but there are various um, tools and things that can help us. And um, that word choose, um, the explanation that I found really helpful was that it means to choose by a highly deliberate choice. That is a real heart preference with a definite outcome. God has chosen us. By a highly deliberate choice. His heart preference with a definite outcome, with purpose. And Paul says that outcome is to be holy and blameless. To be holy. We talked about this, Phil talked about this a couple of weeks ago. To be holy is to be set apart, to be set apart special for and to God, to be blameless without a single fault. And Paul says that we are chosen, holy and blameless, in love before him, before the Father. Literally, standing before the Father in his very presence, under his direct gaze, but in love and seen as holy, and blameless. God has chosen us in Christ. Second thing, he has adopted us through Christ. Verse five, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself. We are sons of God for himself. I love that. For himself. The, um, Adoption in the New Testament era was not the same as what we might know of today. It wasn't common in Jewish practice, but it was more common in um, the Greek culture. And its purpose was to adopt an adult son into a family to be the legal heir of the family's inheritance. An adult son adopted as a son... But as the legal heir to the family's inheritance. And the word adopt literally means to place as a son. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. How wonderful yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that we <clears throat> stand in love yeah. Yeah. before the Father. In his very presence, under his direct gaze as holy and blameless, and his son. If I can say this, male and female sons, heirs of his inheritance. Wonderful. The third thing that we see God has done for us in Christ is he has sealed us Verse 13, in him, that is Christ, you also were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit. We know perhaps a little bit about how seals were used in um, that era, in the New Testament era. They, they were used to um, uh, confirm ownership, to prove authenticity and authority, the quality of that which was being sealed. And to ensure safe delivery to the destination. And Paul says, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit (laughs) is your seal. You have been sealed with the Spirit in Jesus, confirming we belong to God. We can be absolutely certain we belong to God. Our authenticity and authority as his sons and heirs is confirmed. And the certainty of our inheritance, our destination, is absolutely guaranteed and assured. In verse 14, um, Paul describes the Holy Spirit as the down payment or deposit. A part payment, guaranteeing the fullness of our salvation and inheritance to come. I can't get over that. (laughs) The Holy Spirit, a part payment? (laughs) How wonderful. We have the Holy Spirit in Christ. And there is a greater fullness yet to come. (laughs) Oh, are our roots going down into this? Let's put our roots down. Let's draw up truth. Right, next thing. Two things we have received in Christ. We've been chosen... Chosen, adopted, sealed, but in Christ we receive redemption and forgiveness through his blood. That's verse 7. And we've seen very similar phrases to that in Colossians. The idea of redemption means um, the payment of a ransom for prisoners or slaves, for example, meaning that they go free. And we know about forgiveness meaning that our sins are forgiven. They no longer stand uh, against us. Yeah. If I can put it like this, all that was piled up against us in our sin, in our fallenness, in evil, in our separation from God, all that was piled up against us is gone. Yeah. Amen. <clears throat> and wonderfully, we have received and inheritance, verse 11. This picks up Paul's earlier theme of adoption, (coughs) links to that. Uh, There is, um, well, I can't even imagine all that we could say about inheritance, so we're not going to go there, but I love what Peter (laughs) says about that in 1 Peter 1. He describes something of our inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept, watched over in heaven for you, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Not wearing out, not going moldy or rotten or rusty, not becoming, um, uh, not valued, but kept in heaven for us and it will be revealed. And if redemption and forgiveness means that all that was piled up against us is gone, then our inheritance means that all that God has piled up for us in Christ which Paul refers to as the unsearchable riches of Christ in 3.8, all that God has piled up for us in Christ is now ours and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit to be enjoyed in all its fullness with a sure certainty that we will receive the fullness. How wonderful that this morning in Christ we are chosen, adopted, sealed with the Spirit. We have redemption, forgiveness and inheritance. Draw it in. These are wonderful truths. And just for a moment, just notice um, some of the other language that Paul uses to describe the quality of these things. He talks about every spiritual blessing. He talks about God's glorious grace lavished on us in the beloved one who was Christ. He talks about the riches of his grace richly poured out with all wisdom and understanding. What love, what grace. I really like this um, quote I read from Lynn Kohek's commentary. She says, The sense of overflowing abundance that spills out, refreshes and makes new all it falls on, this is the effect of God's riches expressed in his grace. Not parceled out reluctantly or miserly, but poured out with lavish abundance and unrestrained generosity. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. How wonderful. So three things that God has done for us in Christ, two things we have received in Christ, and there's one more thing. There is an all or nothing here. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul describes these same Ephesian Christians um, how they used to be. In 2 verse 12, he says that you were without Christ, without hope, without God. Or in other words, at the beginning of that chapter, he says you were dead. And we are either all in Christ, holy, all of us in Christ, or we're not in him at all. We're not partly in or partly out. And it's not up to our efforts to be in. We're either alive in Christ or we're dead. And we're not in Christ because we come to a church gathering. We're not in Christ because our parents are Christians. We're not in Christ because we live a largely inoffensive life or pretty much stick to Jesus' teachings. We're only in Christ when we believe, which is what Paul says uh, in, uh, uh, in verse 13 of chapter 1. So that's my encouragement this morning. I want us to know, each, each and every one of us, that for ourselves we have got to the point where we have believed in Jesus Christ. And that means that we recognise that he died for our sin, And that means that we repent. We turn away from the way we've been walking in our own way and in our sin. We turn away from that and we turn towards Jesus and ask him to forgive us and come and help us live for him. And that's something that we must do this morning if we haven't done that before. And instantly we are then in Christ. With all of it. (laughs) The all or nothing. Okay, so that was my first point <laughs> in Christ just to say the next two are shorter but profound because it's the word of God so in Christ and the second point is in together paul consistently refers to us 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 in this sentence it's unmistakably inclusive language and he makes a point even sharper in verses 11 to 14 where he says that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him, you also were sealed when you believed with the promised Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to talk about the down payment of our inheritance. He's changed the us to now we and you and brought it back to the us again in our inheritance. It's like he's saying to the Ephesian Christians, well, I believed first, or those with me, we believe first. You believe later, but when you believed, you were just as in Christ as we are. You were sealed with the same Holy Spirit. You inherited the same inheritance, which is our shared inheritance. We are together in Christ. And there's something else that's inferred here that Paul picks up later in chapter two, and he picks it up in his other writings. And sometimes we don't always think about it because it's a very perhaps not our kind of current situation. But Paul was a Jew and the Ephesians were um, almost certainly largely or entirely Gentile Christians. They hadn't been brought up in the Jewish tradition with a Jewish faith. They, they hadn't known God in the Jewish way. For Jewish people, they'd had a lot of, in, um, of, of inheritance in the Old Testament that we can read. Uh, They had a sense of identity, a sense of being God's people, a sense of his purpose. Um, But Paul here is saying that in Christ, Jews and Gentiles are together. There's no separation. And it's not just Jews and Gentiles that are together, of course. In Christ, there is no separation of any kind between different types of people or different types of um, heritage We're in Christ, and we're in Christ because of what Christ has done and what God has done in Christ. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the same way. We are saved and incorporated into Christ in the same way. We share the inheritance in the same way. We're in Christ together. Co-heirs, members of the same body, partners in the promise of Christ, is how Paul phrases it in Ephesians 3.6 whether we've been a Christian a short time or a long time, whether we grew up in a Christian family or not, whatever kind of churches we've been to in the past or whatever kind of religious views we had or sense of priority or whatever might distinguish us on the surface, nothing separates us in Christ. Christ is all and in all. And um, this is really important for us. And it's also important because I need to see that, yes, I am saved individually, but I'm not saved alone. Yes, yes I need to make that individual choice to follow Jesus, but I'm not saved alone. And I, I don't think I can really see myself standing before God the Father, holy and blameless, adopted as a legal son with rights of inheritance. I don't think I can see myself like that really unless I see you beside me. We don't actually stand before God alone. We must see ourselves standing together. We are one in Christ. And it's very challenging. This... um, must have a profound impact on how we see one another. It must have a profound impact on our priorities, on our gatherings, on how we spend our time and our resources, on our families' priorities. It must have a profound impact on choosing to love, choosing to prefer, choosing to serve. And it must have a profound impact because in Christ, in together, we are in for purpose. Yes. This is a repeated thread that we pick up in that one sentence. And uh, I'm not going to expand on this much today, um, partly because I know Benj has got the master plan coming up, which is the title of his talk, uh, in a, in maybe next week, and I'm believing he's going to build on, on that. But let's just even just look at some of these descriptions. We saw in verse four about God choosing us—a deliberate choice for an outcome, for a purpose. Verse five: He predestined us. He pre before destined. I cannot set our destiny. Determined in advance that we would be adopted as his children. And it says, according to the good pleasure of his will. Verse 9, again, talks about his will, talks about his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time. In verse 11, again, the word predestined, according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. Bit of a mouthful, but can we see that we are in for purpose? That God has made deliberate choice, that he has a plan, he has a purpose and Paul says his purpose is good, his purpose um, is pleasing, his purpose is perfect and God works out everything in accordance with his will. This is solid. solid. It's bedrock for our life. This is what we build on. In Christ, in together, in for purpose. What a sentence, Paul. (laughs) Yeah, we need to get our roots down. We need to draw up these truths. We need to let them permeate us and bring us on to fruitfulness and maturity. And we've barely scratched the surface this morning. I I said earlier that it's hard to know where to stop in Ephesians. And if you just um, dare to look at the next phrase at the end of the next sentence, so the start of verse 15, new sentence, in uh, the CSB translation, after this incredible sentence of profound truth, Paul says, this is why. And he's going to go on to say why and what he prays for the Ephesian Christians. He's praying for them in the, in the light of the fact that in Christ in together, in for purpose. This is why. And I, I feel that that's our challenge this morning, to know our this is why. Not just in what we are praying, although it's really great to have a look at that section of Ephesians 1. Four things, Paul then prays for the church in light of these things. But as Living what Church in H- Market Harborough, we need to know deeply And experientially that we are in Christ, in together, in for incredible purpose. And that this is why, this is what everything we do stems from. This is where our roots need to be deep and strong. This is why we gather. This is why we worship. This is why this week we fast and pray particularly. This is why we love one another in Christ, in together, in for purpose. This is why we serve one another. This is why we meet in homes around the word, to share and encourage. This is why our youth really matter, to encourage them in their faith, to to help them to see themselves with the vital part they have in God's perfect, purposeful plan. This is why we share the good news about Jesus, because we know that everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. In Christ, in together, in for purpose. Amen. This is why. And this is what we need to take further into Ephesians in the coming weeks. As we, we're, going to go back, we're going to go back over some of these things. And we're going to look further up more. But we need to do that, I believe. Realising that here we find our this is why. <coughs> Here we find why and how everything else stems from what God has done for us in Christ, what he's called us to, and what he has got planned. Mm -hmm. We need to be convinced of these truths that are the bedrock for our life and our life together so that we bear fruit in our season with no withering away so that whatever we do, we prosper and come to maturity. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.